Well, I'll say that the hope that the Lord is giving me and the vision that he's giving me is in sharp contrast to that intro video. We are looking at the fall of Judah, but today I want to talk about the rise of the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to be talking about. I just got back. It's good to be with you. I'm Pastor Megan, and I got back yesterday with some of the other pastors and elders from Presbytery in beautiful Southern California. I love that they plan the January meetings in the sunshine. You can spot a Washingtonian because in, like, in the dark meeting hall, there's these windows, and all the people from Washington were watching the meeting like this, like with their hands just tickling, going, can I just get a little bit of sunshine on my hands? Maybe a little bit on the side of my cheek. We were just drinking it all in. And I loved searching the skies every night for that beautiful pink sunset that just burns through that fog, (laughs) the smog of LA. But it's this beautiful sunset. And then I came home and was reminded of the beauty that's here in Washington. We were crossing over the narrows. I wasn't driving. Don't be, don't be scared. And I was twisted around backwards because there were dark, dark, dark clouds over Tacoma and the sun was setting behind the mountains. So I was twisting around. What was I looking for? The rainbow. I knew there had to be a rainbow somewhere, right? And that's kind of what it feels like today. We're still sorry in the like gloom and the destruction of the kings, but we are looking for the rainbow. And we're going to be in Ezekiel today, and he is going to paint for us the hope that is coming, even in the middle of destruction. We're still in the story. If this is your first Sunday here, or if you just need a reminder, let me remind you why we're studying the story. We're more than halfway through. Our hope is that as we look cover to cover in the Bible, that we will see and understand the big picture of God's story and that we would be shaped by it. And that knowing God's story and knowing what he's doing in the world would allow us to be able to talk and to share about who Jesus is, about what his plan is for the world, what he has been doing and what he is doing. So I hope that you're practicing telling the story, reciting it um, in your life groups and around your dinner tables. And I, I really sincerely pray that you are being shaped by God's big story. We're in Ezekiel, so if... Broadly, we are just in, a, in the middle of a rain downpour, and we're looking for the rainbow. Um, I'm going to read our passage, Ezekiel 36, and then I want to walk us back through all these uh, years of destruction we've been in. Won't that be fun? <laughs> we're in Ezekiel 36. I want you to have your Bibles open because we're going to be back in it several times today. So if you would open a pew Bible to page 733, Ezekiel 36. And I'm going to start reading with verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, the name you profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you have declared that you would show yourself holy. Would you show yourself holy to us today? 
Show yourself to be the, the keeper of promises. Show yourself to be the hope in our destruction. In Jesus' name, amen. The whole of the story is about God being on a mission to make his name known in the world and to be with his people. And that's what we read twice in just these two verses. We read that God wants to make his name known. Ezekiel is the one who brings us the message. Ezekiel is a prophet, and he is currently writing in exile. He's not in his hometown in God's land. He's in the town of Babylon. And these two verses remind us of why Ezekiel doesn't get to be in God's promised land. It says it three times. Why? It says that they profaned God's holy name. They profaned his name. This is now the fourth week that we've been studying about all the horrible things that people did to profane God's name. I know we're sitting in a lot of darkness. Um, There's a timeline in your bulletin. I want to encourage you to look at that. It's right under the letter. I thought it would be helpful just to look at the dates from the last month and kind of uh, get a bigger picture of where we are just in terms of the last month. And I would summarize the last month this way. God keeps his promises, and people don't. God keeps his promises, and people don't. Uh, Three weeks ago when Pastor Mark spoke, that's the point of the division of the kingdom in the timeline. And what happened was we had all of God's people, the 12 tribes, split into two nations. So let's just let all of you on the sanctuary floor represent the northern kingdom of Israel because you're the bigger group, okay? And there was a divide between you and the southern kingdom, which you all represent in the balcony, the smaller group, the kingdom of Judah. Last week when Pastor Larry spoke, all of you, sorry to say it, went into exile because none of you could obey God's word. So you're, you're gone. <sighs> sorry about that. This week is a really unfortunate reprise of the same story writ in Judah, in the southern kingdom, as God sends the southern kingdom into exile. But in the middle of that, God sends Ezekiel a message that he is going to act. And he lets the people in on the plan. He does promise more destruction. That's why we're in verse 30, chapter 36. We had to get through all of the destruction. Um, but he, he finishes with a word of hope. And it's a word of hope that actually most of the prophets spoke along with the destruction they brought. So um, it's, it's unfortunate, but here we go. So the north is destroyed and exiled. The south is on its way. The south has the kingdom, uh, has the temple of God. And so when it comes down to um, the, the kings of this chapter, Manasseh in particular, the most uh, worse than all the idolatrous nations of the earth is what the scriptures say about him. Um, we're, we're really saddened, okay, because Jerusalem is in Judah and God had said he was going to put his temple there forever. So we're especially disappointed when King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in and totally destroys Jerusalem. Just all of it. David's throne is gone. The beautiful temple's gone of Solomon. The, um, it's 586 BC, the destruction of Jerusalem, key date. God has been promising to his people... Since we started reading, if you remember, a lot of beautiful promises, he promised that his presence would be with them forever. He particularly through the 12 tribes of Israel. And he said through those 12 tribes, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 
That was the plan. He promised that a descendant of David from the tribe of Judah, from that southern kingdom, would be on that throne forever. Now Ezekiel, one of God's followers, is not, he's in exile, he's in Babylon, and God's sending back these messages to him saying, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. And this is why it's going to happen. And what we see in the hope of Ezekiel is that God is going to make good on all of those promises, even though it looks like it's impossible to make good on them. And God is going to make good on the promises that the people couldn't keep. So God is good for his promises. He makes good on his promises. The people can't, but God is going to fulfill the promises that the people cannot. That's the hope of today. Our passage, verse 22, started by saying that God is going to act. He's going to do these things, he says, for the holiness of his great name. What's at stake here is the holiness of his great name in all the nations. So sit with me for a second in um, in the hopelessness, okay, of what's at stake. Through the nations, through the 12 tribes of Israel, all the nations of the earth were supposed to be blessed. But the nations of Israel are profaning God's name. They're not making God's name known in all the earth. There is one true holy God. He has told the nations who he is through Israel, and now Israel no longer gives witness to who God is. That means that from this point, 600 BC, until today, what's at risk is that no one knows who God is. All of the rest of human history would experience eternal separation from the one true God. Okay? That's what's at stake. That's why God is going to act. He's concerned that the whole world knows who he is. So verse 22 says, God's going to move in and do these things for the sake of his holy name, that all the nations will know that I am the Lord. When I first read that, and I read verse 22, said he was going to do all these things, I was totally disappointed. I thought that God was talking about all the destruction he was going to bring. And I thought, I do not, A, I don't want to preach that message. (laughs) But I also don't want to follow the God who says that the way that you know that I'm holy is because I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. You see what I'm saying? I don't want to follow that God. So I was really concerned and really dug into this. And praise be to God, that's not what he was saying. God is bringing the destruction against Jerusalem. But the way that he's going to make himself known as holy is what he promises to bring after the destruction. That's what shows us who God is. So it's the rainbow after the destruction that shows us who God is. So that's what I want to read next, is what God has promised to his people to show us who he is. So let's continue reading in Ezekiel 36, beginning with verse 24. The Lord says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. The fall of Judah 
makes way for the rise of the kingdom of God. And in order for that kingdom to be revived, God says, I'm going to be in the business of reviving two things. I'm going to revive my people and I'm going to revive a place. At this point, Ezekiel is speaking to a sin sick people. And he's speaking to a place that is about to be destroyed. And for God to show himself holy, for all the nations to know who God is, God says they're going to know who I am because I'm going to bring new life, revival to a people, revival to a place. So first, God's going to revive his people. Where are his people at this point? They're in exile, right? Israel's gone, sorry, floor. The southern kingdom's about to go, and the only people left in Jerusalem are represented by the group in the family room, okay? They're the remnant, if you will. You're good people, I promise. I'll be with you next week. So they are scattered, and the first thing God does to revive his people is to bring them all back together. Look at verse 24 and see who he's bringing back together. He's bringing people from all the nations. He's bringing the 12 tribes, the descendants of the 12 tribes who've been spread out back, surely, But he's also going to bring back people from all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues of all the earth. Some of you are in Bible study fellowship and you're studying Revelation. You just passed the image in Revelation 7 of the end of all time and the future of all time when all the nations and tribes and tongues are gathered before the throne of God. And this is an early witness to that promise. But it's not enough of a revival to just bring the people all back in the same space. Because when you bring back people from all nations and tribes, what happens is something called syncretism. You all are like, oh, I like what you're doing there. I like a little piece of the God there. I like that story. Let's pull all that together. And then what happens is when all that comes together, there's no longer the witness of one true holy God. So what God does is say, okay, I'm going to revive you by bringing you back together. And then I'm going to revive you from the inside out. I'm going to revive you. Um, Look at verse 25. This is the first step. He says he's going to sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. That's not like because they're dusty from being gathered back together. He's talking about an internal cleanness keep reading and he'll break down this metaphor. God says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Pastor Larry talked last week about how our hearts are deceitful. Scripture says that, that our hearts lie to us. And I, I can, can, I know that to be true. My own heart lies to me. My heart says things like, um, you know what, Megan, you totally deserve to eat that entire bar of chocolate. Go for it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, which is actually more often for my own heart, my heart says things like, Oh, you think you're going to sit down and read at seven o'clock at night? You're crazy. You have not done enough today. You still have dishes to do and laundry to do. You have totally not earned a break. Okay? So I don't know about your heart, but my heart is self-indulgent and it's a slave driver and it lies to me. Um, My friend Allie Hymas posted this this week. It was a clip from her journal and it says, frustrated, why is my heart such a liar? Our, it's, it's the sin sickness in our hearts. It's the part of our hearts that is separated from God. 
that doesn't affirm that, he, that God loves us, that we are chosen, that we are made clean. It's the sin sickness that slave drives us and controls us. And then when you get a whole culture of sin sick people together, then that's what leads to idolatry. It's the group of us together in our sin that go, huh, I think that I would be richer if a different king were on the throne. I think that we would be more powerful as a people if we followed a different God. I think that we'd have a lot more fun as a people if we just tweaked God's law a little bit so that there's room for my passions. That's the story of the fall of Israel and the fall of Judah. And it's the story of the sickness in our own hearts. And so God, the promise keeper, makes a solution for our sin-sick hearts. And it's a heart transplant. It's your revival. God promises us new hearts. Let's just recall this again and read verse 26 again. 26 and 27 read, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Some of you out there today need to know that there is freedom available to you in Christ. That the habitual ways of your past don't have to be the habitual ways of your future. That Jesus has available to you a new heart and a new spirit that is his and his alone. Our good God, our good father knows that we can't choose life with our stony hearts. So he says he's going to move us. To choose life. And the life that he gives us isn't just so that we can morally choose a better way. He gives us a new heart so that he can take up residence in it. God wants to be with us and so he gives you a new heart so that his spirit can dwell in you. If you want to look at what it looks like to live as a revived people, God gives Ezekiel a vision in the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37. That's super fun. I hope you have time to look at it in your life groups this week or as a family. He talks about breathing life into dead bones and seeing people arise. That is what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of reviving a people, of gathering a people together, giving them new hearts so that he can revive the kingdom of God. As for the revival of a place where God is reviving a place for people to dwell, let's reread verse 28. God says, you will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. And then if you continued to read verse, through verse 35, you'd see the beautiful description of the place that God has in mind to revive. It's a, it's a beautiful city, a functioning, working city. It has fruitful land. It's a city that, that God continues to talk about through all the prophets this city um, was this promise of a, of a land and of God's people dwelling there was partially fulfilled. In 349 BC, the people of God returned to Jerusalem. They rebuild the walls. They rebuild the temple. And we see a partial fulfillment of what it means for God to revive this land. But I, the picture that he's describing here and um, the way that I image this, it doesn't look like the Jerusalem that was in control of Rome when Jesus was born. It certainly doesn't look like Jerusalem under Nero, who was just this maniac. 
um, in the first century. And I don't see it in the Jerusalem of today. That's the same city, but that's a place of war right now. And God is not done fulfilling this promise for a land for his people. This Ezekiel 36 promise is a promise that's out in the future. My favorite passage to see what this city looks like is Revelation 21 and 22. It's the very last page of your Bible. I'd encourage you to go home and read that. God is preparing us for an eternal city, a city that lasts forever. He, uh, He calls this city the kingdom of God. When Jesus came and walked the earth, he talked about the kingdom of God. And one day he was reading from the prophets. He was reading from Isaiah and reading images like this Ezekiel image. And Jesus said of the kingdom of God today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Which is frustrating to us, honestly, for those of us who follow Jesus, because The world I'm looking at doesn't look like the world of the kingdom of God. It doesn't look like Revelation 21 and 22. And I really wish today it was fulfilled in this hearing. But Jesus wasn't lying. Jesus initiated the kingdom of God. He started it. That's why he said today it's fulfilled in your your hearing. The kingdom of God is available to you. It's here. And he promises he's coming back. To bring it to fulfillment, to absolute fulfillment with us. But his plan in the meantime was to live in us and see us revive the kingdom of God as we live out our daily lives. Jesus gave us the heart transplant so that we could be at work with him in his world to bring about the kingdom of God. God is making himself known in the world. His name is being made known in the world. He is reviving his kingdom and he's doing it by reviving us, his people. And through us, he's reviving his kingdom in the world. So here's your invitation to be a part of rebuilding his kingdom. I would be happy to sit in my office this week and just write out contractor's certificates, just giving you all permission to build God's kingdom, okay? You have this from the Lord on mission by the power of his spirit to build his kingdom. The first step is to revive, allow God to revive your heart. This is what Pastor Larry called last week, cry out for rescue. Admit the sin sickness of your heart. Confess that. Every day and let God give you the transplant of his heart and his spirit. And then the second step is to ask God to revive your vision of what the kingdom of God looks like and get busy building his kingdom. God wants you to gather with him all the people from all the nations. Who needs to know? Who in your life needs to know that God is in the reviving business? That he gives new life. Last week, I missed the opportunity to testify to the reviving power of Jesus. Larry told you the story of my awful Thursday night. And um, what's interesting to me is that I shared that story of my completely emo- complete emotional breakdown and the poopy diaper and the whole bit to a group of friends on Saturday morning right after it happened. But then Saturday, after Larry shared the story, my friend Kim came up to me after the service and said, "Um, I hadn't heard the end of the story. 
you didn't tell me that an hour after all that junk happened that you were a new person and that Larry could stay out and you were totally fine, that Jesus had revived you. You didn't tell the end of the story. See, one of the things I think we, um, we get in trouble with as God's people is we, we, we sit and pour out rain with people. We just sit in the rain and say, oh yeah, it's raining. Oh yeah, my life is hard. We, we sensationalize our sin and we share the dirt so that we can all sit in the same place. Let me just tell you, please let your story be God's story. Please tell him the story of God's revival in your life. Don't be like me, letting everybody sit in the muck together. God has given you the message of revival. And if he has done the work of revival in your life, share that story. Make that the story. And be a part of what God is doing to revive a people by reviving the friends in your life. God also invites you to be a part of reviving the place, of reviving his world. And you can be a part of building the kingdom whenever you follow the blueprint for the kingdom of God that Jesus laid out. This is what Jesus says about his kingdom. He says that no one's hungry. He said that everyone's healed. Everyone is comforted. There's room at the table for everyone. Justice is rendered. The orphan has a home. This is the way he describes God's kingdom. And so it is our business to be about the eternal work of building God's kingdom every day. And honestly, I think this is just so much simpler than we give it credit for. I saw God's kingdom being built all over the place this week. I watched on Monday, I was um, in a doctor's office looking out the window and saw a woman clearing out all the dead leaves from all the plants so that the um, area around Safeway is beautiful for when it finally opens again. Yes, I'm excited. Okay, so she had this little corner plot of land that was on loan to her from God. The revived kingdom is a beautiful place, and here she was at work rebuilding the kingdom of God, just clearing out the plants. I have, a, I have a good friend who, um, who rebuilt the kingdom of God this week because she brought comfort. Her really good friend is suffering from cancer. And I know it is hard for her to sit with another young mom. It is not easy for her to talk about. But there she was building the kingdom of God, sitting with her friend for two days this week, bringing comfort to this one who's suffering I know an elder in our church every week builds the kingdom when he gets together with friends um, in his line of work. They sit around and they talk about Jesus. They're studying the story and they're talking about how Jesus affects the work of business in the world. And God is building a kingdom, a functioning city that's going to have perfect ethical standards. And so they build the kingdom as they invite Jesus into their workplace. I don't know if that's sounding too mundane for you, but that's the kingdom that God is building. I want to tell you about another really ordinary kingdom builder. He, uh, as he was growing up, he built beautiful things with his dad out of the wood that God had given him. And he built the kingdom as he studied God's word. He was a really good student of the word of God. He built the kingdom when he was out fishing with his buddies, enjoying the wind and the waves. I know that new heavens and the new earth is full of beautiful creation. And he was a really good fisherman. He was actually known for catching a ton of fish. And he fed a lot of hungry people with what he, what he caught. He had an open dinner table and he often had people over for dinner that nobody else wanted to be with. 
And he was good friends with politicians and prostitutes. And he told them about the kingdom of God. Does that still sound a little too ordinary? Well, too mundane of a way to bring in the kingdom? That's the story of Jesus. That's the story of our God who wanted to make this hope from Ezekiel made known in our lives. And so he brought the kingdom of God through the ordinariness of life and preached that the hope that God puts forth from the beginning of the Bible is ours to have, that the kingdom of God is at hand. See, Jesus was able to accomplish what the kings of Judah could not accomplish. He lived in perfect and unbroken relationship with God. He was sinless. He didn't have any need to be cleansed. So he was able to cleanse us who need forgiveness. He died a death on the cross, a horrific death on the cross. And so that the righteousness that he had on the cross could be ours at our death. He rose from the dead in order to bring hope, the hopeful message to people that says, look, this is what's going to happen. I've been raised from the dead and so will you. I'm coming back to live on my throne forever. That throne in Jerusalem that you were concerned about being ashes, I sit on that throne forever. Jesus came and fulfilled all of the broken promises of the people as perfect man. And as perfect God, he made a way for us to be with him forever. God is reviving, has revived his kingdom. He has revived and is reviving his people. And he's reviving a place for us. And the way he's doing it is through you. In order that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And his strategy for reviving that kingdom is the same that we saw Jesus live. It's through people working, creating Fishing, feeding, providing hospitality, bringing the kingdom of God, bringing a rainbow in the midst of the rain. It's our ordinary life. If you remember Matthew 28, 28, Jesus commissioned us and said, in your going, make disciples. Dallas Willard, I'm reading The Divine Conspiracy, and he said it this way. He said, the obviously well-kept secret of the ordinary is that it is made to be a receptacle of the divine, a place where the life of God flows. So I want to encourage you to go about your ordinary life, not just doing good for goodness sake, but in your ordinary life, bring the life of God. Bring the reviving power of the spirit and build his kingdom in order to make the name of God known to all the nations. That was the mission of God in Ezekiel. It is the mission of God today and he's using you to do it. Jesus is coming back. And so you get the opportunity with him to build the kingdom for him. What an amazing invitation to us today. Would you pray with me and invite the Spirit of God to revive us? Holy Spirit, thank you for putting us on an eternal mission that our lives would not just be the end of our lives today, but that what we do today would live on for all of eternity. And so I pray first that you would paint for us a vision of your kingdom, that you would show us the hope that you've called us to. 
And if you're seeing that hope and that vision for the first time and you've never received the reviving power of the Spirit, just invite him into your life. Say, Spirit, breathe on me. Revive my heart. Bring me new life. If you've been a follower of Jesus for for a long time, I want to pray, Jesus, that you would bring to those people a revival of heart, a revival out of sin sickness into a mission for your kingdom. Jesus, revive our hearts. Revive us to be a people who gather your people together. And for those of us who are already sold out for you, Jesus, we believe. Would you give us hope and strength in our believing that we might believe in the power of our ordinary life? That we might believe in the invitation of our homes, our cars, to be places where you revive and build a kingdom. Jesus, would you revive the vision that you have for our work? Would you show us how the dailiness of our work is a participation in an eternal city? Would you revive our ethics? Would you revive and expand what it means to heal people? Revive us to build a kingdom. Jesus, would you make it matter that you're coming back? Would you make that foundational to our faith and to our life that we believe that one day we're gonna stand before you face to face in a renewed kingdom and get to say, Jesus, I got to be a part of this with you. I saw this ahead of time and now I'm seeing it fully. Jesus, paint for us the hope of your kingdom coming, your kingdom here. We are your people. Revive us in Jesus' name, amen.